Morning, church. For those of you who don't know, the, uh, one of the um, giftings that Jeff has got is making dessert, so we'll be making the most of that for our uh, Monday night Bible study before he heads off. Good excuse to have a meal together. Are you ready to get in God's Word? Excited? This is the Almighty Word of God, and we're in the um, Gospel of John still, and we're up to chapter 5. And we're reading from verse 16 through to 30, titled The Authority of the Son. So John chapter 5, and we're starting at verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and... Sorry, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tony. Jesus in the dock is what we've called it this morning. I pinched C.S. Lewis's title about God in the dock. Jesus being investigated in a court of law, and this is an amazing passage because these... Second half of John's Gospel from verse 16, verse 18 on to the end, 47, is a monologue. It's Jesus himself speaking. And it's a very clear, um, ordered statement about his own identity. It's in two parts. The first half, it's Jesus answering himself, testifying about himself. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The second part, which if I get time, I'll just race over, but it's talking about Uh, three or four witnesses that Jesus summons to basically say that 
I can say whatever I like about myself, but what do the witnesses say? Here is the evidence, here is the proof that's all in chapter 5. And before I pray, there are questions that are available for, they've been sent to connect groups, um, but there are nine questions and there are 12 points in this sermon. Yep, 12. I said, I, I was like, I missed the prayer meeting this morning, pre-service prayer meeting, because I woke up this morning, I went to bed last night and I thought, I'm really happy with that outline, with that message. It's going to be good. And I woke up this morning going, it's too long. I have to prune it. So I spent two hours this morning pruning it. It's still too long. So I'm going to prune it on the fly as I go. So if it doesn't connect and if it doesn't make sense, pray. Um, and on the questions, I send them to Pastor Charlie and he sends them out to all of the connect groups. And I felt a little bit cheeky when I did this last night, yesterday. Um, it's got on here, question six, uh, do you have a follow-up question? Then email or text Pastor Charlie or me. That's a good thing to do. If something comes up in this passage, you think, I want more information. I, can you explain that another way or a better way? Or, you know, ask Charlie, because mm, <laughs> don't understand me. <clears throat> uh, number seven and eight and nine are, have you put your name down for the hospitality weekend? It's a good question to ask. Number eight, have you been baptised? Do you want to be? Some baptisms coming up on the 27th of March, if you'd like to be. And are you a member of our church? And if not, hmm, why not? If this is your church. If you're visiting this morning, glad you're here. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, no pressure on you at all. But if this is your church, um, then you should really consider very seriously of joining, being a member and learning what that means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are again before you in body, mind and heart. And we're here, Lord, because we want to learn about you, but we also um, want to listen to you. And we are here for you and for one another, uh, just as you want us to be. Help us to connect, Lord, with you and with one another. Could you open our eyes to see more clearly? Give us an understanding of this incredible passage to hear what Jesus says. And we ask and pray in his name. Jesus in the dock, just Jesus defending himself um, and making claims, basically saying that he is God. If you've had any conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, then they will often make the statement that Jesus never claimed to be God. Take him to this passage. There are several places where he does do that. And interestingly, as we'll see, his enemies understood exactly what he was saying. He never corrects it. He never changes it. He says, yep, you're getting it. That's exactly right. This story begins uh, with the Pool of Bethesda. This is the first part of chapter 5. It's about a guy who was uh, an invalid for 38 years and he's by this pool filled with hundreds of people. And uh, Jesus walks into this colonnade one day, walks straight up to him, steps over people and around other sick people who are waiting to get into the pool to get healed. And he goes up to him and he says, do you want to be made well? Guy gives an answer and then Jesus says, pick up your mat and go home. And it was on the Sabbath. That's the point. It's almost like Jesus does this deliberately. He doesn't heal anybody else, just that one guy, and then leaves. The guy doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know his name, doesn't know who he is, because when he gets asked those questions, he says, I don't know. And eventually Jesus finds him in the temple and they have a conversation. It's on the Sabbath. So because Jesus was doing, and that word doing is a continuous tense, 
He did it and he kept doing it. This is not a one-off. There are lots of other things he did on the Sabbath. He really got up the nose of the Jewish leaders who had their own rules and their own regulations. The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So Jesus said in his defense, um, my father, not our father, my father. I am the son of God. As he talks about himself in this passage, he refers to the father and the son. I have the same nature as him. My father is always at work to this very day. And I too, like him, am working. You need to pause and stop and think about that. It's a rather profound statement. I thought in Genesis chapter 1, God took a day of rest on the Sabbath. Worked for six days. Then on the seventh day, he rested. Well, if you read it again and read it carefully, it'll say, and the seventh day, he rested from all his works of creating. He stopped creating. He did not stop working. He continues to work, and he has been working every single day. That he um, makes the sun to rise, he makes the rain to fall. Um, he sustains life. He hasn't stopped working. And Jesus is saying, and me too. Even though... Uh, Jesus is the Son of God, with the Father and with the Spirit. They're working in tandem together. But even when Jesus came to earth, was incarnated in the person of Jesus, in the body of Jesus, somehow, mysteriously, spiritually, he's still the Son of God, who is still working and in contact with all that's going on in heaven. And Jesus did this on the Sabbath. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but far out. His answer actually gets him into more trouble. Now he's calling God his own father. And they understood it. Making himself equal. The same as God. Jesus doesn't correct them. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you misunderstood. I didn't mean that. He accepts it. As he does in John chapter 20 when Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus actually says... That's correct, Thomas. You finally get it. You get it because you see me. Blessed are those who believe that he is God the Son, that he's risen from the dead, without seeing. Blessed are those. So Jesus is making claims. Let me... I forgot my water, sweetheart. I'm going to dry of doubt. Drought. Doubt. <coughs> Thank you for my bottle of doubt. The claims that Jesus makes in this passage, which are going to be all 12 of them, require a response from us like that, to honour him as God and to submit to him as Lord. That's where we're going. Um, the first claim, my father. I have the same nature as him. I have a son. and Until I had a son, I wasn't a father. I was a son was the son of my father. But when I had a child, and my son was my firstborn, then he had exactly the same nature as me, human. Some people question that, but he's definitely human. The question would be about me. That's what Jesus is saying. I and my father, I have the same nature as my father. Number two, he is working and I am working. He's making himself equal with God, as the Jews understood him to do, and he doesn't correct it, and it's equal without hierarchy. It's not my father is the boss and I am the son. It's not father and son in that sense. 
It's father and son in the sense of, like we say, like father, like son. That's character. We're the same. Third point. The father and the son do the same things. Whatever it is, they do it together and in harmony, in unison. It's not that the son copies the father. It's rather what the father is doing, the son does with him. What the son is doing, the father does with him. And just for the sake of clarity, the spirit is also involved in this. But Jesus just takes the first step, father and son. By the time you get to John chapter 14, then he's going to introduce the spirit. It's father, son and spirit. But he keeps it first step, nice and simple. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, three times in this passage, the Lord Jesus will say quite literally, truly, truly, amen, amen. That's literally what he says. In other words, what I am saying to you is the truth. It's a very careful, it's not a casual, um, off-the-cuff remark. This is a considered, ordered response. And Jesus is saying... The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, he does. Jesus, the father and the son do exactly the same thing in unison together. The father doesn't do anything without the son. The son doesn't do anything without the father. They're like this. They work together. So when they point at Jesus and say, you did this on the Sabbath, Jesus says he did it. My father did it. I just joined him in what he was doing. We did it together. Number four, the relationship between them is one of love, which means there are no secrets between them. What the father knows, Jesus knows. What, um, I said that wrong. What the father knows, the son knows. What the son knows, the father knows, and so on. The father loves the son and shows him, the son, all that he does. Yeah, and he'll show you even greater things than these. Why? So that you will be truly amazed. Didn't tell you that bit. Not going to tell you that bit. Um, so they're angry at Jesus because of these, uh, his claim saying, I, I'm God. And it's truly, truly. You can believe it. He's being clear with them. You need to go through this passage very, very carefully. And Jesus says, if you think healing that guy who was sick for 38 years is anything special, that's nothing. You haven't seen anything yet. My father is going to show me more things and then you will be uh, truly amazed. And in fact, after this, the Lord Jesus will go on and he will perform lots of other miracles. It'll raise three people from the dead. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. The lepers will be healed, the demons will be cast out. All of these signs point to the reality of who he is. It was spoken of in the Old Testament. Number five, he is the creator. Jesus is the creator with sovereign power. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. He doesn't do it independently. It's not Jesus going around saying, I want to do that, and the Father doesn't want it. They, there is no division, there's no conflict, there's no disharmony. They are in tandem, operating together. And just as the Father raises the dead, they everybody believed that and knew that, and the Old Testament talks about it. So Jesus says, so I do that. And as I said, Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son, 
And in John's Gospel, chapter 11, Lazarus. And in fact, as this passage will go on to show, John chapter 11 illustrates exactly what Jesus says about how he raises the dead. We'll come to that. So Jesus is the creator with sovereign power. He raises the dead. He's got to be God. Jesus is also the judge. No, no, no. God is the judge. Jesus is saying, well, the father judges no one. He's entrusted all judgment to the son. Acts 17, in fact, says that God has appointed a day of judgment and he has appointed a judge, his son, and he's given proof of it, resurrection from the dead. When Jesus rose, that was proof of this statement. He is the judge. Here are these Jewish leaders questioning Jesus and judging him. And Jesus is saying, actually, I'm going to judge you. You'll stand before me on the last day. The son is the one who... For him to be a just judge... He has to have all of the facts. He has to know all of the people. He has to know everything about all of the people. Know their motives, know their words, know their deeds, know their thinking. That's Jesus. I'm the judge. That's what he's claiming. And moreover, verse 27, he says, He's given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Now, in this context, when the Son of Man is used, that's Jesus' favourite title for himself, Son of Man. And he means human. Because Jesus was not a son of a man. He was a son of a woman, but Joseph was not his father. In the Old Testament, the word son of man, the phrase son of man is used to describe humans. Ezekiel uses it that way. But in Daniel chapter 7, there's a remarkable passage, verses 13 and 14, about one like a son of man who goes up to the throne of God and the being on the throne, the God on the throne, hands a scroll to the Son of Man. And by it, he rules over all. It's picture language describing Jesus, he, I'm the Son of Man. The one you read about in Daniel, that's me. That's what he's communicating to these people. And he is the judge. Jesus is to be honoured. Now, this is significant. If you don't get anything else this morning, take note of this one. Jesus says... Why is he the judge? So that all may honour the Son, just as they honour just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. If you don't honour the Son, you're in trouble on the day of judgment. All of the sincere religious devotees around the world, if they don't honour the Son, they're in trouble. Doesn't matter how sincere they are doesn't matter how devout they are. All of the religions of all people, we are called to honour the Son. If you don't honour the Son, then you're not honouring the Father. You're not honouring God. It's a bold statement, isn't it? Jesus, in this one verse, dismisses all religions. There is only one God, Father, Son and Spirit, triune God. I am the Son. You're to honour me just as you wanted the Father and the Spirit, which will come in John 14. And if you don't, then you're not really honouring God. You're not really honouring the Father. As John will say in one of his letters, people who say, I love God, but don't love his Son, they're liars. They misunderstand. It's not true. They're pretending. 
Secondly, the son is to be heard and he is to be believed. He is the one who will determine your destiny. Very truly, I tell you, there it is again. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. If you believe me, if you trust me, Jesus says, you have the gift of eternal life. You have your sins forgiven. And in fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. That's exactly what he's saying here again. Whoever hears my words, listen to me, because I speak his words. We're in tandem and unison. Jesus is the one who saves the spiritually dead. And because he's going to talk about those who are physically dead, he's talking about people who are alive physically but who are spiritually dead. Very truly, I tell you, there it is again. A time is coming, and in fact, it is right here, right now. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live spiritually dead. They'll hear the voice, the dead will hear. Jesus awakens spiritually dead people by his voice. How does it, in John chapter 11, <clears throat> which I read, read this week, there's something I, I'd never noticed it before. Well, I probably had, but I remembered it or whatever. I was reminded of it. Jesus is there and he prays and he talks to the Father. And the Father says something. He says, Lord, I know, Father, I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this so that they get it, the crowd around me, so that they will understand. And then it says, and in a very loud voice, Jesus shouted. I haven't noted that before. Jesus is about to say to Lazarus, come forth, come here. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead four days. He's wrapped up in the tomb. And Jesus, in a very loud voice, says, Lazarus, come here. Why did he shout? So that they would get it. So that they would hear the command. Because when Lazarus then comes walking out of the tomb... Still wrapped up, head wrapped up. So he came out wrapped up. And Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus said, Lazarus, come here. And it happened. He's the son of God. The voice of the son of God will waken the dead. And he does that spiritually and he's going to do it physically in the future. Jesus is eternal, number 10. For as the Father has life in himself, where do you get your life from? From your parents. Where did they get it from? From their parents. Where did Adam get his life from? From God. Where did God get his life from? He can get it from anywhere. He has life in himself. He has always been alive. There has never been a time when he was not alive. And he's always been the Father. There was never a time when he was not the Father, which means that there's always been a son. There has never been a time when there was not a son. It wasn't the Father first who then made the son nope father son spirit eternal all there all together they all have these keys these 12 points belong to all three of them and see if this helps so they have the keys over giving life over the womb they have the keys over the tomb and they have the keys of your future destiny doom they have the keys of the womb the tomb and doom and there's not three sets of keys. There's one set of keys. They all do it together. If you understand that, you're lying. We don't understand it. It's not against our reason. It's above our reason. This is what God has revealed about the splendor of who he is. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. That sounds in English like the Father has granted the Son to have life, doesn't it? That's not what Jesus is communicating or what this text means. What this text is communicating is there are not two independent life sources. The Father has life in himself and the Son has life in himself. There are not two sources because then there could be two superior beings, two supreme beings, which when you think about it, is an oxymoron. You can't have two supreme beings. One must be supreme. So Jesus is trying to communicate that the life the Father has in himself is what I have in me. We have the same life. We are connected. We are united. We are one together. And the same with the Spirit. Jesus, the one who raises the dead, just like I did with Lazarus. Don't be amazed at this, he says, for the time is coming in the future when all who are in their graves, Jesus is the only person I know who can talk to dead people and they obey. All who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Whether they were buried or cremated, they will come out. Those who have done good, notice this, will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. There are two eternal destinies. Two. Jesus says so. And it's not by being good or not being good that you get to go to heaven. It's rather, once you believe in Jesus, then you will behave and act accordingly. That's what it's referring to. Jesus here also undermines two of the very common things. Number one, that death is the end. There is nothing after it. Well, Jesus is saying, well, that's not the case um, because you will rise. If you have lived, you will die and you will rise unless we're caught up in the rapture. It also denies, not only is death not the end, it also denies that we all go to the same place. We don't. Only those who believe in Jesus and demonstrate that by their life, being sanctified, calling on his name and confessing him as Lord, go to heaven. Those who don't, you will rise, stand before him, the judge, and he who knows all things will say, depart from me, I don't know you. That's a strong statement. And finally, to repeat this, verse 30, the Lord Jesus is like bookends. Verse 19 and verse 30, he works with the Father. By myself I can do nothing. In John 15, the Lord Jesus says the same truth to his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, then you'll bring forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any spiritual significance or spiritual good. He needs to work through us. So Jesus is saying, I can do nothing by myself as I hear what the Father is doing, what the Spirit is saying. Then I speak. My judgment is just, for I don't seek to please myself. I seek to please him, and he seeks to please me. We seek to please one another. There is this complete unity and oneness. Why does this matter? Let me repeat for you all 12 of the reasons, and just hear them as a sentence. Jesus is declaring that God is my very own Father. We have the same nature. I am equal to him. The Son and the Father, we do the same things, whatever it is. We don't copy each other, we cooperate and participate in doing it together. Number four, the Father loves the Son, and in this relationship there are no secrets between us. 
We know each other intimately and closely. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son does the same thing. Father is not the judge, the Son of God is the judge. All of us should honour the Son, and if we don't, then we're not honouring God the Father. Um, Everybody should hear Jesus, believe him, and those who do will receive eternal life. Those who are not Christian yet, who are not followers of him, the Lord Jesus speaks to them. And if they hear his voice, then they will rise to life. They'll be born again. So it's not us. It's not us presenting the gospel. It's not us sharing scripture. It's him taking his word, scripture, and empowering life. He does it through us. Um, As the Father has life in himself, so Jesus has that same life, the same life shared. Uh, The physically dead in the future will hear his voice and they will come out and stand before him because he is the judge and he does not act independently of the Father. As he hears, he judges. The Lord Jesus then goes on to bring forth three witnesses. I really don't have time to go into it, but he talks about John the Baptist, he talks about the miracles that he'd done, and he talks about the scriptures. These three all talk about me. You need to read that through carefully. And the sad thing is, you may not be aware of this, but 50 years after the Lord Jesus died, rose, and ascended back to heaven, in the next 50 years, the Jewish, <coughs> excuse me, the Jewish nation accepted, followed... 65 false messiahs. They had the real deal in front of them and they rejected him. They killed him. And then they foolishly give in to the next 65 who come along claiming to be the messiah but proving to be false. What are our conclusions? Well, question, who do you say Jesus is? What's your response? You could ask each other that question afterwards. Who do you think Jesus is? I'm not expecting you to say all 12 things, but just in a succinct sentence and maybe add to it. Tell one another and modify your sentence. Learn from each other. His claim requires us to honour him as God, to submit to him as Lord, to trust him as Saviour, and to obey and serve him as King. Honour, submit, trust, obey, and serve. Is that true for you? Do you honour him? You will honour him by trusting and obeying and serving him. Do you serve him? Do you serve him in the context of his family? That's what he wants. He wants you to serve him and he wants to bless you and reward you for doing so. He doesn't want you just to turn up and attend church. He wants you to participate. He wants you involved. He made you to do that. He knows what's best for you and he invites you If you're not serving, you think about it very carefully. Lord, what do you want me to do? Jeff and Marion have asked that question and God says, I want you to go to the Philippines. Will Jesus do that to you? He might. Will you go? If he says, I want you to serve morning tea at church, will you do it? I want you to mow the lawn, will you do it? I want you to clean the toilets. I want you to contribute to the Seniors Pastor Retirement Fund. I'll get in trouble for that when I get home. I'm only joking about that last one. There is no Senior Retirement Fund. I'm not retiring. I'll get in trouble for that when I get home. (laughs) If Jesus is not God, then we don't know God. We don't know the Father. 
What's he like? We have no idea. But now we do. Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you for so long you don't know who I am? Those who see me have seen the Father. We're the same. We are distinct. He's the Father, I'm Son, Spirit. But we are like each other. You see one, you see the other. If Jesus is not God, then the cross was an act of cruelty. If Jesus is not God, then you have a Father sending a Son to a painful death. And because of that, if he is not God, then we are not saved. Because if he is not God, when he died, he died for one person. Because if he's not God, he can only die for one person. But because he's God, he can take the full punishment for all of the sin, for all of the people in the world. Because he's God. So does it matter? You bet it matters. It's crucial. John chapter 5. Read it carefully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this passage reminds us that it's not just what we think about Jesus, but it's what does he think about us. Could you help us to come to a deeper, clearer, committed understanding of the reality of who Jesus is and, Father, who you are and how you work in tandem with the Spirit and the Son together. Lord, continue to speak to us and shape us. Help us to honour you, to submit to you, to trust you, to obey you, and Lord, and to serve you. Until your voice calls us to you, we pray in your name. Amen.